0: Like, even if you're naturally talented, don't take it for granted. Like, I'm not, you know? Like, I work to get good at this. Um, And the only reason anybody's ever heard of me is because I really, really, really worked at this.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Making Waves, the podcast all about the unexpected paths to a creative career. I'm your host, Rob Goodman, and I'm really excited about our guest today. It's Jeremy Fish. He's an illustrator, an artist, a sculptor, and Jeremy came to San Francisco over 20 years ago to attend college at San Francisco Art Institute and pursue his love of skateboarding. You're going to hear great stories from Jeremy about his path working in the skateboarding world and eventually going independent, the kinds of work that he creates for the city, like his project for Coit Tower and City Hall. And you're also going to hear really honest reflections of what it's like to be an artist, living in San Francisco, and what the realities of that are in terms of actually making a living wage and getting to enjoy the city. Jeremy's a huge music fan. He's a really big fan of the city and has done so much to contribute to it. So I'm thrilled to welcome him to the show and let's get started with the conversation. Jeremy, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'd love to hear about your your latest project, your artist in residency at Coit Tower and how that came about and, and what the work has been like that you've been making.
0: Well, uh, I don't know if you own or you rent this place, but if you rent it, you, and you make a decent living, you live in what is now the most expensive city in the United States. When I moved here 25 years ago, it was significant. It was almost 50% less cost of living here than it was in New York, where I'm from, or New York City, uh, which is the closest place to go make something of yourself near where we grew up. Uh, I was searching for somewhere to go to school, and I came here partially for the curriculum, mostly for skateboarding, and partially because cost of living here was dramatically less as a student. And the Art Institute at that time didn't offer any housing options at all. So it was like apartment or don't come here. Right. Um, so, you know, the Coit Tower thing... Like a lot of things I'm doing these days, I'm probably going to have to leave, you know, at some point. And I don't say that with any, like, you know, I'll get mad and leave or I'll get squeezed out. And uh, I'm not resentful of that statistic or trying not to be bitter about it. I'm just trying to accept that I could own a home in 98% of America drawing pictures, which is fantastic. Unfortunately for me, all that happened to me in a city that became the most expensive city in the United States by one third in the 25 years that I lived there and has preventatively kept it. So I can't really, this is a very cyclic job, you know, and it's difficult enough to get financed by a bank. Uh, I know that I won't be able to live here forever and it eats at me on a daily basis. Uh, and so projects like city hall in 2015, opened my eyes to the fact that like, I've made enough of an investment in my city that, There's these weird little doors I can open and walk through now that are priceless. And if I can't own something here because I I don't have Zuckerberg finances, um, and I don't say that resentfully to anyone that does or has made their money here to buy those homes, it's fantastic. But that being said, I need to do these things because it's the way that I'm going to get paid something you can't pay for. Like if I can't own a piece of this city, I'll own a quality of life here that you couldn't afford, even if you had it. And That's the closest I can do to feel like I got the most out of my time here. And uh, there's been a lot of opportunities in my career to live elsewhere. And I've dodged them all like bullets to know that eventually this place will push me out whether I like it or not makes me really sad. And things like Koi Tower are my pat on the back, I guess. Like you can't own a house, but you do have these wonderful opportunities. So you can't really be mad about anything.
1: Yeah, it's shocking to hear um for an artist who has contributed so much to the city to feel like that's, that's still impending for you, the, the exit, um, because of finances. And of course you see a successful artist such as yourself and you, or I kind of, you know, impose a vision of success, financial and otherwise that would make it, uh, make it so that you could be happy here and, and,
0: and successful and live and and, and all that, and, and to your point, I do and am. Um, my landlord and I have a great relationship. I have a very reasonable rent. Uh, I took out a hundred thousand dollars worth of student loans to be a student here as a young man, and I paid them off working here before I was thirty. Uh, so my savings to own a home began somewhere between thirty and forty-three. And like I said, I I I'd make a good living, and I'm not complaining about any of it. I'm not even complaining about the fact that I can't afford to own a home here, to be completely honest. yeah, I'm sort of proud and happy about the fact that it became deeply expensive here. Um, I think it's taken the rest of the world an awfully long time to figure out that most of the progressive thinking of the last hundred years came from either here or somewhere very close by. And I think that if you don't realize that should correlate to the cost of living somewhere, minus the fact that the weather is phenomenal and all these other things that make it a very interesting place that people would want to live, is really small, and there's, you know, the suburbs are not exactly suburbs. It doesn't have the same sprawl that where you and I come from, and, like, uh, that's preventative. And it's not to say that uh, I don't have any family funding. I know a lot of artists that will get to live here forever. Uh, It won't necessarily be due to anything they did with their careers, and there's no disrespect to any of those guys, Uh, but those are the ones I know that are still here, you know, and um, my wife and I both come from very kind of simple families, and you know there's no there's no uh, inheritance or uh, her family is from the west coast so I have more of a root here than I did on my own but my family is from 3000 miles away and, and as far as my namesake goes there's just one old lady left in upstate <laughs> new york and i'm sure she'd be happy to have us move in with her if all things go wrong
1: yeah and it, it it must feel good to you, though, to leave a mark on the city and, and be part of these institutions. Yeah, absolutely. Institutions and- if I
0: do have to leave, I'll be remembered as some kind of fucked up unicorn that stuck it out <laughs> way later than he should. Everyone else of my generation left a long time ago. And again, unless there was some family funding or some other mystery safety net that allows you to stay here, as an independently employed artist, uh, you know, my wife and I get by and we make a good living and I can afford my place. But... I'm noticing now, as I approach 20 years of doing this job, that it's more sporadic than it used to be. Some years I do incredibly well, some years I don't. Uh, Some years I take civic projects like these, which don't pay at all, and you know, I was able to do that because last year I took a really huge job that paid super well, and it's like, you know, I can continue to make those accommodations and those juggles because I want to, and because for me it's important for me to stay here, but I don't know if I'll be able to do it for that much longer, you know?
1: Yeah. How did these projects come about? And you mentioned the City Hall one, which was 100 drawings in about 100 days to celebrate the centennial of City Hall. Are these projects that people are approaching you about? Are you proposing them? Are they grants?
0: Uh, Half and half. You're right on both of them. Uh, The first one was grant funded through the San Francisco Arts Commission. And it was there. They kind of proposed it because They had this idea to do a bunch of advertisements to support City Hall's 100th birthday, which at the time they weren't really planning to do very much, which I thought was kind of insulting, but hey, I'm not City Hall. Uh, The Arts Commission was kind enough to get behind it, obviously, and they wanted to pay a bunch of artists to do promotional posters, which they did, uh, to go in bus kiosks and things like that to remind the citizenry that it was the City Hall's 100th birthday, and considering there's a giant population of people who just moved here, quite possibly remind them that our city hall is like pretty off the wall special compared to the rest of the city architecturally and if you've never popped in there probably do so you know and that's a great idea and I don't like or in general I'm not a big fan of applying for things believe it or not most of the stuff you see me do over the years somebody rang my doorbell <laughs> I've had really terrible luck with the things that I like went through the proper channels and filled out and applied and I don't know I I I just, honestly, this one was fucking weird. I went because I believed in it. I made this proposal. I did these sketches of things I thought would make valid bus kiosks. Uh, So I go into this meeting. I make my presentation. They eventually email me back, and they're like, sorry, we're not going to use your stuff now. Mind you, I was invited to do that. I didn't find that on a website somewhere and just apply and keep my fingers crossed. They wrote out to me and were (laughs) like, would you make some drawings for this? And I did, and I went in, and they were like, no. No. And I was mad, and I almost wrote some really evil stuff, you know, like my initial reaction was like, reverse sexism, like, <laughs> what the heck? I just got voted out for being a dude. This is insane. uh what I realized was the reason they didn't accept me for that is they had a they kind of saw I had a bigger uh, vision than what they had really asked for. Yeah. my pitch when I came in to show them my sketches was what I said to you that we have this large portion of people living here that did not move here like you and I did because we thought it was awesome. And certainly didn't stay for that reason. They came for a great paycheck. And now, while I'm one of the few of my generation that doesn't want to murder all of everyone that comes here for that reason, <laughs> uh, I understand that this is a wonderful place to come and get a great job. And, like, you have every right to be here. You also have a gentle responsibility to recognize this place is special and take 30 seconds out of your life occasionally just to take a look at it. Yeah. Uh, and that was what I was trying to do with these posters. And they were like, we think you should do 100 of them. I was like, I was like, okay. But so
1: how quickly did that turn where you got that kind of rejection quick. notice? And then you got well, this not bigger close project. Enough, Cause
0: I composed several really mean responses, uh, thank gosh which I deleted on those. some like, yeah, there's no point in being like that. Like they meant, well, it just, you know, you, maybe you weren't the right fit. Maybe I said something in the, in the conversation that offended them. Who knows? But I did let it go. Fortunately, they came back and were like, Hey, you know, we want to present this opportunity to you where you do a hundred of these things and we'll exhibit them on the ground floor of city hall during city hall's birthday. And I was like, that's a wonderful opportunity. They even got some grant funding to help pay for it. And I was like, and I, you know, I appreciate that there's a budget for it. Uh, but I still kind of think that on some level, it's detached if I'm sitting in North Beach drawing 100 things about City Hall. And I was like, you got to give me an office in the building and you have to find someone to publish it. And they were yeah. like, and I was like, A, it's fraudulent. Like, I'm going to sit in North Beach and draw 100 things about City Hall. After about 12, they're all just going to be made up and not interesting. Sorry. And more importantly, if you're going to put me to that kind of work, have you ever gone to an exhibition and visually remembered 100 things? <laughs> so you have to print it. Like, you have to put it in print or you wasted my time. Yeah. Like I don't want this to be something where it just sounds like he did a hundred drawings in a hundred days. Cause if it's not bound and I get to remember it, then you just really ran me around the block. Yeah. And the arts commission was wonderful. They were like, holy shit, you're totally right. Uh Meg Schiffler, the the woman who directed my project, is a fearless person. And that's the only way interesting things like this happen. Cause she just went in there and was like, No, you, you know, you have to give him an office. It doesn't need to be a professional office. It can be a weird. Cubby hole, but you have to give him some space in the building and full security access to go wherever he wants to go and they got chronicle books to publish it which was wonderful wow i can't wait to get my hands on it because those drawings are incredible thanks um, well some of them are let's be fair yeah. anything you have to do one a day for 100 days unless it's like brushing your teeth it's not gonna be that consistent you right i mean like some are awesome some are awful yeah most i tried really hard some i was in a bad mood i mean yeah. Uh, I also was having a lot of health issues at the time, so it wasn't the greatest moment in my life to try and be like super civic minded. Um, it also might not have been the greatest time in the city's history for anyone that's lived here two decades to be very civic minded. Yeah. Which is the other thing that motivated me to do it. While all my friends were packing up and moving away and talking shit on how the place was no longer cool, I decided to buckle down and attempt to make a difference instead of just like talking about how it used to be
1: yeah and closing
0: off exactly trying to reach out and expose more people to and and again i didn't mean that to sound like you know yeah it's everyone has different moments in their life where it's time to go yeah like i said earlier mine will come at that time i was personally sad at the number of men and women that had contributed to the art scene here my age that had to go you know yeah and by had to i mean for whatever reason they had to And if nothing else, like I said from the beginning, you got to be able to walk away from here and not feel like you didn't try to make an effort. Otherwise, I'd probably feel terrible for the rest of my life. Yeah. If and when we get an opportunity we can't say no to somewhere else or my landlord sells my building. Right. I'll be able to go and know that I did the best I could while I was here. Yeah. And I left because I had to, not because I wanted to.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's awesome that you're, again, you're not going in slower, you're not closing off. You're going to do as much as you can to reach out, connect with the history, and try to expose it to new generations of people who are, who yeah. are kind of streaming in for, like you said, different reasons and aren't connected to the the city like maybe they should be. and for full- maybe
0: like the older folks that you and I met when we got here connected us to it. Like a lot of my interests are purely because... I moved to a really historic neighborhood and a lot yeah. of my neighbors really geeked me out on some stuff I didn't know about.
1: And you're in North Beach? Yeah. yeah.
0: And so I think a lot of these things I'm trying, like you said, there's still a percentage of kids coming here for art school. I get notes from some of them, you know, like they still follow what's going on and maybe just for them. Maybe I just inspired those guys to look a little deeper and care a little bit more and act a little more civically and do things locally that are, I don't know, in attempts to like remind people of the good things here. Not yeah. just constantly bitch about the bad.
1: Yeah, I think it's really important. And full disclosure, a tech job did bring me out to San Francisco. As well it should have. <laughs> so, I mean, personally, really, up until a few years ago, I, I did feel that disconnection. And part of me... Or doing, a hesitancy
0: to be honest with somebody when they're like, why'd you come here? And you're like, oh, I liked it. You right. shouldn't be ashamed of that. Like, yeah. I, There's such a crazy stigma going around with like the things here that are getting developed that change the world. And the people that live here are doing it have to be like somewhat secretive about it because they don't want to get fucking hated on. <laughs> and it's, I mean, it is what it is, but it's it's awfully unusual.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I think, you know, part of me doing this show and wanting to connect with the community more is to feel the city, feel the impact and, yeah, understand where I live and how I can contribute. I think growing up outside New York City and then in New York City in Brooklyn, I kind of took it for granted because that was just always where I was. So now, still, you know, relatively new, five six years here, um, being really proactive about learning about all the neighborhoods and the history. And I, you know, honestly feel your artwork makes that easier.
0: I so. appreciate you saying that, and I also like I. Yeah, and I didn't mean to make it say earlier. Like a lot of people that move here for tech jobs don't care. No, like, oh no, not at all. I think people move here for all kinds of reasons. Yeah. you have unless you're fucking blind or really busy, it's hard not to appreciate what's going on in the Bay Area, even yeah. if you came here for some random reason. Uh, but I do like the fact that, um, like you said, like it does give people a starting point. Maybe they just didn't have time, or they were busy, or whatever. And and for whatever reason, if what I've done is stop somebody in their tracks made them do a little bit more homework. And then in turn, I guess the real goal is made them be a little bit friendlier as it becomes really volatile here, which it didn't used to be either. Not to say that it wasn't volatile or dangerous in the 90s. It was, but in a very different way than it is now. Yeah, yeah.
1: I think it is, it is kind of that visual wake-up call to say... Look up, look up from your phone, whoever you are, look around, connect with the history that was here because it
0: it matters. And don't turn this into New York City, you know what I mean? Like let it continue to be kind of a smaller, more open, friendlier community. Yeah. Just because it's become astronomically wealthy doesn't mean that it needs to change its general overall mode of communication within itself, you know? Like it's a frightening time if it can become absolutely just night and day from what it was in every aspect. Um, and I really hope it doesn't go that route because then, you know, there might be another reason to leave.
1: Yeah. So let's rewind. I'd love to hear a little bit about what you were like as a kid and if you were always drawing or if you knew from an early age that you wanted to be an artist. Like how did how did you approach art as a kid?
0: Um, I come from a pretty creative family, not like professionally so, but um, my mom and her parents were really crafty. And my mother's father was a carpenter and a woodworker uh, his whole life. And I spent a lot of time as a kid working with him. Um, I drew a lot, but I don't think any more than any other kid. Um, I, was, I, I did better in art class than any other class, like uh, from the time I started school until I got out of college. It's the only thing academically that I was ever good at, um, almost across the board. I was okay in English. My mom's an English teacher Mm -hmm. and I'm a pretty good creative writer. um, If you ignore punctuation, but for the most part, um, art was the only thing I was ever any good at that I could like um, in school get recognized or like the grades would be dramatically above and beyond everything else on a report card. So I don't think there was any question from the time I was really small what I was gonna do. It was just a matter of like, How do you do that? Uh, would he work in a gas station or pursue the only thing he's any good at? Right, right. Um, there was not a lot of support from... I mean, my mom is a good mom, and she's the kind of mom that's like, you you know, pursue that if it's what you want to do. But, you know, I mean, it was the late 80s and early 90s in upstate New York and a family that didn't have any money or any, like, artists. So I think that I wanted to move 3,000 miles away and take out $100,000 in loans to do something that everyone was pretty sure was a really dumb idea. uh, They were right. But sometimes it's easy to pick what you're going to do in life by default. Like if you're really just not good at anything else. To be fair, I really wanted to be a professional skateboarder, which is the other reason I came here. Although I knew by 18 that I wasn't good enough, I had friends that were that came here that did. And I wasn't as good as them, but I knew that my physicality would only last till a certain age and I should probably come here and push my limits physically with the sport just for my own satisfaction. So a lot of this was art school. A lot of this was the art scene that was here, but more so than art entirely was skateboarding and Thrasher. That's why I moved here. So what
1: was your experience like at SF Art Institute? Um, What was your mindset like during that time? I mean, were you actively pursuing art and, your studies and then skateboarding as much as possible. Um, and what was kind of your encouragement you got in school or, or discouragement? I mean, did you reach a point where people are like, yeah,
0: keep going, this is going to be a career for you, or you really never got that? No, not at all. I, um, and I don't say it with any bitterness. I wasn't that good at what I was doing. I didn't give it a hundred percent of my time and attention. I really, 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 really wanted to be a professional skateboarder. And I knew And, you know, I wasn't pursuing it in the sense that I even had sponsors at that age. I was just kind of like out here, like, I'm going to give this all of my time and attention. And it's kind of a good thing I had that because the Art Institute was not a good fit for the type of work I was making. I thought because they had Barry McGee on the cover that they would respond to the type of crap that I was making at that age. And they really didn't. As a matter of fact, I think they were probably flooded with a bunch of guys like me that couldn't draw that well that were trying to be like Barry McGee and they were annoyed. Um, and so I don't blame the Art Institute but I didn't get any support whatsoever. Okay. Uh, I had one instructor that liked me and liked my work. His name was Al Smith. He taught screen printing. Um, there was a guy that taught the airbrush class. His name was Tom Ackaway. He also liked me. Other than that, I didn't have a single professor there that thought I was even talented. It was very, eye-opening experience so yeah go ahead well so
1: i guess what were you feeling during that time were you like well i don't have anything else to do unless i can make skateboarding my thing or were you like you know screw this no i know i knew i
0: had no future in skateboarding i wasn't here because i was pursuing it i was here because i was draining the last of it out of my system like before i had to go back to new york and be miserable get a gas station job to pay off the hundred thousand dollars i just borrowed to go skateboarding for three years Um, I'd gotten a two-year degree in Albany before I moved here. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So I was finishing my degree, I was stacking up all these loans, and I was skateboarding like crazy. Um, At some point, I took a lot more screen printing because I knew it had. My dad made a big point of like, take a bunch of shit that you can get a job, you know, like, because no one's going to pay you to draw pictures, you're not that good at it. And he was right. I wanted to get a job in art. I didn't want to have to keep doing. It. I'd worked at restaurants and while I was living here, I was working in department stores and anywhere I could. I worked at the school as a janitor in the morning doing uh, like sweeping and mopping all the studios. And so um, I basically just figured, fuck it. I'll take screen printing. Cause I'd already had a guy in my hometown had the account with Ben and Jerry's to print all their t-shirts. Mm-hmm. And it was like just down the street from my mom's house so I understood the process and I had printed with him, bought my own equipment and printed t-shirts for my gang in high school. And so, oh, and uh, so I started taking the screen printing class here because I was like, that's a job. Like yeah. People still do that, you know? I was really good at it, even in the class. And a kid in my class was like, hey, you want a job? And I was like, What? This kid I took screen printing with got me a job on the mission at this wallpaper company where we screen printed wallpaper for 18 bucks an hour, which in the 90s was a lot of fucking money. Mm -hmm. It was because it was illegal and toxic. Uh, So I did it for like two years and probably got really sick from it. But in any event, uh, it kind of led me to what I'm doing now because that degree through a kid that I skated with, right as I graduated, I got out of school, I'd been out of school for like a month. And this kid that was my neighbor that I had skated with all through college uh, worked in the skateboard industry here in the city. Um, he, his boss quit one day and suddenly he found himself managing the screen print shop that printed all the decks, T-shirts, and wheels for like Deluxe, mm-hmm. Think, Thrasher, juxtapose that entire empire. Their print shop suddenly needed an assistant manager, so Boom. <laughs> I'd been out of school four weeks and I got a salary job working in the sport that I moved here for. Wow. It was a dream come true. I literally, I didn't sleep for a week. It was like honestly the greatest week of my entire life because even though I didn't do well in that school, I mean, I got good grades, but no one liked my art, you know? Um, What I learned was that it isn't necessarily all about like art school. When you're in art school, it's not about necessarily even your professors. It's about who you meet while you're in school. And because I didn't really go to any of the things at my school, you know, I didn't go to the functions or the events or the openings because I didn't really care. Yeah. My whole circle of friends and my whole scene of my community was built in skateboarding in the years that I lived here and they opened a door and I got a job and that's how come I still live here.
1: So how did you go from screen printing to eventually you were art director and you were juxtapose and Thrasher, and what what was? I your never kind worked
0: of- for any of those guys full time. Okay. I uh, I worked in the in the print shop, and while doing that, um, after being there for like two years, I started to beg to contribute to anything. You know, like um, the guy at the time that ran Juxtapose let me do a poster, so I had a poster in the back of Juxtapose in the late '90s, which nice. is pretty hard to believe. Um, and I'd never been in it. You know, like they had never had an article about me or anything. (laughs) So it's kind of odd to see a poster in the like mail order part of it. It was back when you still did mail order. Yeah. Uh, It was odd that there was a poster in there by a guy that had never had a feature in the magazine, (laughs) but nobody knew when they read it, the guy that had the poster in the back was like running the print shop. Right. Right. That printed all the posters for everybody else in it. Um, So that was kind of fun. But I worked in the print shop and was, like I said, was like giving designs to anyone that would take it. I did a Thrasher t-shirt and a juxtaposed poster and some stuff for Think and some stuff for Deluxe and uh, at some point one of the guys that worked in the art department at Think quit and the owners were like fuck and I had been making it more than obvious that I was ready to move. So after almost 10 years they moved me out of the print shop into an art department but I would never used a computer in my life. Had no idea how to use one. Really? Not even in, in school? No. Okay. Jerry Garcia paid to build a computer center at my school, but I like barely used it. Like I just didn't. <laughs> it was the late nineties. I still yeah. thought you could get away with never knowing how to use it. Right. I was like, oh, I'm never going to do that. So, so you get this. I thought job. it was corny. You know? right, I, was just like, right, I don't want to have anything to do with yeah, that. Yeah. This isn't going to last. Um, Drawing digital. What the fuck's wrong with you people? That's stupid. No, I so, was stupid. It was a dumb thing to miss out on.
1: So you, you got this gig and they were, they were like, well, you got to design on the computer. What'd you do?
0: Uh, There was a kid working in the art department who was from Switzerland, who was just good at, you know, he couldn't draw at all, and we were opposites. And we got along incredible, his name was Martin Walker, and uh, we just kind of balanced each other, like anything I didn't know how to do, he did, and anything he needed drawn, I'd draw it, and it was a really good fit for a while.
1: Hey guys, I want to tell you about a little something you can do to help the podcast reach even more listeners. It's super simple and should only take maybe a few minutes of your time. And that's by leaving a review on iTunes. The more reviews on iTunes, maybe you want to leave a five-star review. Maybe you want to say a little something nice in the comments. The more reviews that are up on iTunes, the more exposure people will have to the show. iTunes will bring it up in their rankings and people will discover it and the world will be a better place, right? So please check it out. Go to iTunes and leave a review. Thanks so much, guys, and let's get back to the show. All your artwork now, it's all goes from sketch to final artwork, painting, and there's there's not a lot of digital involved or none.
0: There almost never has been. I mean, like I convert like hand drawn illustrations into vector art so that they can be printed onto t shirts and things right, like that. But right. uh, no, I don't draw anything in the computer, and I never have. I don't even really know how. I mean, I can use Illustrator, but to execute an illustration that I did by hand, I don't. Uh, I have nothing against it. I just don't do it.
1: Yeah, and you've said a couple times that your work in college you know, both your own viewpoint and others you didn't think was, you know, all that great.
0: I wasn't giving it a hundred percent. And anybody that doesn't shouldn't expect much. Like, even if you're naturally talented, don't take it for granted. Like I'm not, you know, like I worked to get good at this. Um, And the only reason anybody's ever heard of me is because I really, really, really worked at this. I'm not naturally gifted. And I was surrounded by people that were, and they all sort of took it for granted Uh, My roommate in college was one of the most talented people I've ever met, but he couldn't get out of his own way and he didn't really care. Um, I I just didn't, once I realized skateboarding wasn't gonna pan out and like I started doing graphics, I was like, man, you better do four of these a day or you're gonna be out of work. And that's the only reason you've ever heard of me. Like, I just didn't wanna have to not do this. So I just did as much of it as I possibly could as fast as I possibly could for as affordable as I could.
1: And that was it. Just the repetition you kept drawing every day. Yeah. When did you, it sounds like you were, you were freelancing until, you know, this role, which was a a full-time role um, as the art director. When did you, how long did you do that for? And then when did you get the itch to go independent?
0: Uh, All in all, I worked in Hunter's point, which is where the skateboard industry is here. Uh, for about 10 years total. I got out of school in 97. Um, by the fall of that year, I was working um, in at the print shop. I stayed there for roughly five, basically if there was a decade in that year, it was like closer to six or seven in the print shop and the duration of that decade I spent in the art department I Think. Um, fortunately or unfortunately, what had been a dream come true was to sit and draw skateboards all day. By the time I'd done a few hundred of them, um, the industry was taking a dip. Uh, The company couldn't afford to hire any help. And I wasn't digitally talented enough to take on the entire brand alone. And as people would quit or we'd fire someone, they couldn't afford to hire someone to replace them. And as my Swiss friend that taught me to use the computer moved back to Switzerland to take care of his family. And like some shit just started happening where... I was in the art, eventually in art department. I started in with five dudes. I was the only one in it. Um, Long story short, I loved the guys I worked for, but I knew I had to get out of there and I just couldn't, I couldn't keep up with it. Like it just wasn't fun. Yeah. I got a couple really good freelance jobs. Um, During that time that I was in there, uh, the skateboard magazine across the street called Slap, which was a smaller skateboard magazine put out by the same people that do Juxtapose and Thrasher. They gave me a two-page illustrated spread for like just about four years called The Big Stupid. Nice. That was like my equivalent of a comic, which considering I didn't read comic books growing up, (laughs) it wasn't very comic-y. Okay. Um, It was also pretty terrible. But that was the first time anybody around the world ever saw my art with my name on it. And other than that little thing in the back of Juxtapose. Right. And that changed everything. And I don't even know why. I'd been doing board graphics and T-shirt graphics and things for brands and things that had my name on it. That little two-page illustrated spread, for some reason, changed everything. Like once I started doing that, uh, I got an email address. Like the guy that ran the the <laughs> magazine was like, "You probably should get an email address. Like people are writing the magazine trying to get a hold of you, and we don't know what to tell them." And I was like, "Oh." So I got a hotmail address, and people started writing me from around the world because they liked this comic, and I really thought that was interesting. And then. Uh, Through that, I started getting invited to different art shows around the world that were trying to feature, like, skateboard art Mm -hmm. in, like, stupid, like, street art-themed shows. But, you know, know, I was living in a fucking flat in the Richmond with a (laughs) shitload of people, barely able to stay afloat, self-employed. And I was like, wow, somebody just invited me to go to Switzerland. And, like, so I just started going. And, uh, yeah, I have pretty much slap magazine to thank. I mean, that was really the first time anybody around the world ever saw my stuff. And like I was saying earlier, without being boastful, I mean, I've been to Italy 12 times in the last decade on somebody else's dime. Like they kicked the door wide open. And for whatever reason, uh, I've had a lot of success in Europe because of it.
1: Yeah, a lot of interest in gallery shows and also personal work, commissioned. everything. All of the above.
0: Yeah, I'm in a bunch of museums in Europe. I'm in more museums in Europe than I am in the United States. <laughs> wow.
1: Yeah. You know, your, your work is shown in galleries and you, you've got this kind of amazing um, wide audience and appeal. And, you know, I was wondering at the Art Institute and just in your first steps into the art world, how that line between fine art and illustration was, you know, was it kind of walled gardens for you to break through
0: either side of those things or, you know, they made it very apparent at the art Institute that fine art, which generally means your family pays your rent is holier than every other form of art because it's created by the smartest of artists. And that, Graphic art is less than and certainly uh, commercial art that would drive a product or the sale of something was less than all. And at that age, you know, I sat there listening to it and I took the notes and I wrote the answers on the test and I got the right answers. But like, I don't know that I necessarily agreed with any of that. You know, like to me, when they're saying fine art rules all and I'm like, well, that's Pollock, right? That's a dude chucking paint and talking a lot about it to explain very little. I said, commercial art's a guy who illustrated something for a product that's supposed to convey a story with the illustration by saying very little. Mm -hmm. So basically, I walked out of art school thinking, okay, so fine art in its essence is something that looks like it needs a very long description because nobody can understand why it's so basic and unattractive, right? In a nutshell. And illustration was less than because it does all the talking for itself. And nobody really had to get up there and explain it to you or give it a long-winded importance in society you knew because the person that drew it did a good job and that bothered me more than anything um because I don't come from a pretentious art family because I had no future in it whatsoever you know I had no business even going to that school I just they were desperate and I got in you know it made me really dislike fine art and still does um I think it's an elitist concept in a lot of ways. Um, and I, there are a lot of things that very early in my career, regrettably, I pushed myself away from. Right. Well, what about
1: your work though, that does appear in, in galleries and shows? I mean, are you, are you breaking into that world just due to the interest in in your work or no, it's, it's, it's really separate kind of exhibits. Um,
0: Well, I mean, it comes and goes, you know, I I think like any other economy, um, the art economy is really fractured at the moment. I don't think it's a great time in global history to really invest in art. That being said, my art still sells and I still do okay off it. It has never been the only way I ate or I would have starved a long time ago. It's very inconsistent. The money's really shady. Galleries still take half. There's just a lot of things in place that are very antiquated and... I don't really think it's a system I'd ever want to dedicate myself to 100% because I don't believe in the way it's designed.
1: Yeah. And what is your kind of portfolio of work these days? Like what makes up your the work you produce and kind of how you how you make money as an artist? Commercial, personal, gallery, all of that?
0: It depends year to year, but I like to keep a healthy juggling act of commercial illustrations, personal commissions, gallery work and you know, every other kind of random civic project I can get my hands on in between. It's been a juggling act since I walked out of the door of that skateboard company and it's the last full-time job I had. Right, Uh, And for better or for worse, I made all that happen in the most expensive city in the country and I'm super proud of it.
1: Yeah, and so you mentioned when we were talking about the City Hall project that you had some health issues going on at that time and I know you had brain aneurysms that you were dealing with and you've talked about kind of shifting your focus, you know, and being a little bit more focused on living life and, um, not kind of putting every ounce of your energy and waking moments into the work. I'm curious how, how that changed you and how it changed your thinking around how you want to live your life.
0: Well, at the time and what happened afterwards have changed, uh, to be fair to you. Um, I did, after finding the aneurysm and having the surgeries and, you know, there was a brain surgery where they resolve it and there's another one where they go back and check to make sure it's resolved. Um, the aneurysm wasn't necessarily the the symptom that caused me to go into the hospital and I didn't know that. It turns out I have frontal lobe epilepsy, which they diagnosed uh, after the brain surgeries. The symptoms continued and they did more testing and eventually realized that, I've probably had this for a really long time and it's just now starting to make itself obvious to me at this age. Um, so when I was, when the aneurysms were the situation, I mean, they're like, you have to make dramatic lifestyle changes immediately. Right. They were like, you know, smoking, eating, drinking, how late do you stay up? You know, like when they find those things in your head, if they tear or burst, you have like, I don't know, 45 minutes to live or something crazy. Are they are they man
1: caused like man made cause person caused I don't what... know uh,
0: they say stress they say blood pressure they say a lot of things um basically it's a it's a diversion in your um in your brain where imagine there's a fork in the road and the blood is pumping so hard that it can't just keep going down the road and it creates like a little side road to pull over yeah that side road as it gets bigger and bigger because it's just an offshoot of the main road is very weak and tender yeah if that offshoot rips you're fucked and okay. you have, if you know, if you get blood in your brain, you have 45 minutes or something stupid to live. Um Yeah, so I went in because I was having some dizziness. They found this giant aneurysm. It had been there a really long time. They coiled the shit out of it, which is how they kill them off. They fill them with little metal coils and it stops circulation from going in and out. Mm-hmm. They isolated the aneurysm. Uh, it was no longer a threat to my existence, but the symptoms that caused me to find it kept happening. Like I kept having these weird kind of episodes. So eventually they realized that I had uh, epilepsy. Now the prescriptions for epilepsy are fucking gnarly. Uh, and I'm not taking any of them and haven't. Uh, so I went from trying to live a much more calm, relaxed, don't work as hard life when they found the aneurysm. Once I realized that the aneurysm wasn't really a threat to my life and that I had a disease that I did nothing to cause and couldn't get rid of and had to take really fucking life changing drugs in order to manage, uh, Changed the whole. I'm not going to work that hard. Schedule back to. Looks like the road might be a lot shorter than I thought. Better get to work. Um, like, if you're taking time off preventatively to like live a healthier life, and then you find out you have some fucked up disease you did nothing to cause and can't get rid of, uh, so much for taking it easy. You know, like, what was the point in
1: doing that? And so you want to work as hard as you can to produce as much.
0: And not only that, but I don't want to do anything that's getting painted over. Um, so I don't do as much public work as I used to, and certainly not anything outside, just because we live in a day and age where it's easier to get famous for ruining somebody's mural than it is for creating one. And I don't say that personally. I mean, Taggers mess with my stuff, but I, that's been going on since I started painting outdoors. It's part of the responsibility you take when you paint outside. I'm just after the whole ups and downs with health stuff, my biggest thing was like no more nothing that gets painted over. And a lot of that was the statue. A lot of that was like, fuck your mural. Like it's already gone. Like the building got torn down where yeah. I fucking painted that thing. You know, like murals have a lifespan of this, bronze and concrete and stone and books. And this is where I want my focus to be. Yeah, I'm no longer 20 years old and I no, I know I'm human and my time here is limited. So I'm directed more at things that have like more lasting power, I think.
1: And is it, is it your own pace of frenetic work creation or is it that the deadlines are, you know, you just kind of let them come in and stack up and you got to hit them or is it a, is it a combination?
0: No, it's my own pace. Cause like I, you know, I don't always have commercial jobs, but I don't, I can't relax here. I feel like I got to go, you know, like if I take an enormous amount of time off or if I, you know, like watch TV for a night, like, I just feel like you get what you pay for. You know what I mean? Like, if you want to relax and sit around here, just don't be surprised when it's time to go. Like I'm going to work as hard as I can for as long as I can to be here. And when I don't want that anymore, I'll reevaluate my life. But for right now, it's not really a wise time for a guy in my boat to chill out. Like it really isn't because, you know, the window's going to close and I have a voice and people listening and it's just not a good time to take a night off.
1: Jeremy, thanks so much for joining the show and for yeah. the conversation. I Absolutely. Really my pleasure. Thanks really for having it.
0: me. You bet. And, uh, thanks for making the effort to care. You know what I mean? There's a lot of guys like you that moved here more recently that just, it's not on your list of shit to make an effort. So I appreciate that.
1: Absolutely. Thanks, Jeremy. Sure. Okay. That was my conversation with Jeremy fish. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining the show and being so open about your path to getting to where you are today, the challenges that you faced in school and what it's really like for an artist here in San Francisco and what makes this city so special. So thank you so much for everything you do to preserve and also promote the history of San Francisco. If you guys want to learn more about Jeremy and check out his incredible art, I'm a huge fan of his artwork. Check out SillyPinkBunnies.com. That's his website. You'll hear all about his shows. You'll see his artwork. And check out Mr. Jeremy Fish on Instagram. You should follow him there. Making Ways is engineered by Jim Heffernan at TTO Productions. Our intro music is by The Sandworms, and we've got some music by Jim Heffernan in the mix, too. You can learn more about Making Ways and me at MakingWays.co. We have new articles and illustrations that I do and show notes that you can check out every week. Follow us on any social media platform and definitely sign up for the newsletter on the website where you're going to get more behind-the-scenes action on Making Ways podcast. Thanks to our partner, General Assembly. Check out generalassembly at ga.co. You can find my course called Launching a Successful Podcast that you can sign up for. That's on October 20th. And if you use the offer code Making ways at checkout, You can sign up for any workshop or class and get 15% off. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you soon.